versus the World Productions. What has been heard cannot be unheard. www.vtwproductions.com Hello and welcome to another episode of Alpha Geek Interviews. I am your host, Other Todd. This is for Friday, the 19th of August, 2011. Programmatic announcements. If you wish to participate in the show, and you should, please come to vtwproductions.com. Click on chat at the top of the page to enter the internet relay chat using the web client. Information is also available there to join IRC using your own IRC client. If you wish to email the show, the address is the show at alphageekradio.com. That is the show at alphageekradio.com. Joining us today via the miracle of the interwebs, Stephen Steptoe Toulouse. Stephen, welcome to Alpha Geek Interviews. Hey, I'm happy to be here. It's funny. Uh, I, um, I, I, you know, I got to be honest. Everybody pretty much could just calls me Stepto. Uh, I really only get called Steven when when I'm at home and I've done something very wrong. Steven. That's <laughs> exactly that. My God, that's uncanny. You sound just like my wife. I ain't touching that with a twenty meter barge pole. <laughs> wow! Thank you for taking time out of your day to join us here on our nerdy little corner of the internet. Very and happy to be here. As Alpha Geek of the day, we like to begin, as it were, at the beginning. Where did you grow up? I uh, grew up uh, in Texas. Uh, I was actually born in Houston, but then when I was like six months old, we moved to Dallas, and I lived there until I turned uh, 30, and then I moved up to Seattle. And now that you're in a beautifully moist part of the uh, country, as you were relating to me before the show. Uh, dark, dank, and moist, as it, as it apparently appears <laughs> to be of late. Um, what is it that uh, brought you up to the great white, almost northwest? Well, I've actually been uh, a Microsoft employee for a, a, a really long time, um, going on close to 18 years now. So I was actually working in the Microsoft office in Dallas, in a small suburb called Las Colinas. And what brought me up to Seattle was uh, a job offer to join the Microsoft Security Response Center. It's, it's so weird being back on Internet Relay Chat on IRC because I used to run uh, an IRC server and back in the day. And it was really a place where, you know, IT professionals and people could just come and, and hang out and chat and, and, and get information and share information. And I ran it on a Windows 2000 server. So I had this I had this this clunky old Win32 chat uh, software that that basically enabled you know IRC on that server and there was this one there was this one guy in the chat who would always take me to task for running IRC on Windows. It's like oh you're such a fool that's such an insecure operating system. What are you doing? <laughs> you're crazy. You suck. You know. And so I got I mean finally I just got fed up and I'm like look all right. I went over to Windows Update, you know, and made sure I had all my updates. And then I went back to the chat. I'm like, all right, look, either you put a file on my hard drive or you tell me the contents of a file on my hard drive or shut up. 
Well, it took him about 30 minutes, but he got me. Uh, back then, we didn't actually have our security updates on Windows Update. You had to run this completely other tool, this this software tool called HF NetCheck, and I hadn't run that. So I was missing Shame. a security update. I know, I know. It's totally... And, and a Microsoft employee to boot, right? I mean, so, you know, I, I was, like, double screwed up. But it made me think, you know, hey, if 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 someone like me can't get this right, if it's not easy for someone like me, then then it's probably exceedingly difficult for, for the customers. And so that got me interested in security, and I worked with the Microsoft Security Response Center from 2002 to 2007, but that necessitated a move up to Seattle, which I was happy to do because i got to tell you something. I went back to Texas recently, to Dallas specifically. I've lost my tolerance for the heat, man. Yeah, I'm speaking to you from uh, Phoenix, Arizona right now, and I desperately wish I were where you are right now. Even with the dark and the dank, uh, got a little bit of the superheat overload going on down here so send the moisture south please yeah my understanding is like even in dallas they're on day 45 of over 100 degree uh weather and i just i can't do it man i step off the plane and it's just i like i explode in sweat it's just not not yep. pleasant at all no the same way that that you know when i moved to Arizona from western New York, my blood thinned and I can't tolerate the cold anymore. The same goes, you are used to the heat and then you get not used to the heat real quickly like when you're not here every damn day. Yeah, it's amazing how fast and, and how brutally I lost it. I mean, so now it's like my my parents and my family, everybody I grew up with is in Dallas and they're like, come visit. And I'm like, why don't you come up here? <laughs> It'll be a nice vacation for you. <laughs> we have Pike Place Market. Come on up. It's a grand old time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just go in there, and as long as the guy with the the donut robot is still there, the Daily Dozen, then I am then I'm happy and content. Yes, there's that, and uh, they still, I believe, um, scare the hell out of people with the monkfish. If you've ever seen that. Uh, the monkfish, just to look at it, scares the hell out of me that people would actually eat that, but apparently it's quite tasty. I'll never know, but apparently it's quite tasty. <laughs> well, they have one wired up at Pike's Market to where, like, they pull a string, like, you know, back behind the counter, and it jumps off the ice. Oh, even better. <laughs> so it's scary. They're evil. <laughs> yeah, it was the um, demo. I, I work IT for the the TED conferences, and two years ago they did the the live demo from the uh, the Bing Maps team where they had the the live video overlay, so they had the team there with the backpack camera and the 3G modems, and they were actually broadcasting from the fish counter there. Oh, wow. <laughs> live live in, embedded in the Bing map. It was like, okay, that's fairly awesome, and now I want one of those backpacks. Yeah, for those who don't know exactly what we're talking about, you know, down at Pike's Market in downtown Seattle, there's a, uh, a famous fish counter where they uh, have become very adept at throwing extremely large fish extremely long distances if you order them. So if you order, like, a, a whole salmon, they'll pick it up off the ice, they'll throw it behind the guys at the counter. I mean, literally, this, this huge, you know, eight, nine pounds of fish is just, just flying through the air. One of my favorite things that they do is after they do that for a while and they get enough of a crowd, they have a fake salmon that's just, a, just stuffed with, like, cotton or whatever. And they'll pick that one up and they'll throw it from the counter into the crowd, and the guy will miss it intentionally. Oh! And to watch the entire crowd just scatter and scream is hysterical. <laughs> Incoming! It's really, really fun. So if, you, if you're in the Seattle area, hopefully you're thinking about coming to PAX or you have a, a ticket for PAX, and, uh, and you can try it out there. It's a lot of fun. Ah, yes, we will get to the shameless plug uh, for PAX uh, before too much awfully longer here. But let's rewind a bit here. 
Sure. Um, so you, what brought you to Microsoft in the first place? Uh, what, uh, you know, in your in your nerdy upbringing, line, aligned you with uh, the, the great big M? I think I kind of fall into the classic uh, geek childhood that that many people I think today have 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 blogged about or written about. You know, I had my uh, my first computer when I was very very young. Uh, I think I was I was ten. It was a Timex Sinclair, um, massive sixteen k of memory. I mean, oh man, I I, I was really rocking it back then. Uh, my first game console was an Odyssey two thousand when I was six years old. Mega so I box, sort of baby. Yeah, I tell you, it, 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 it just grew up in that world of, you know, I was always good at computers. I was always good at um, video games, sports, eh, not so much. Um, and so I, I, I sort of had that, that standard sort of um, minted and, and issued geek uh, growing up process that I went through. And then I went off to college. And um, I went to college in, in South Central Texas at a little place called Southwest Texas State University, which has since changed its name. Uh, and I double majored in English and philosophy, and I very quickly realized that college was not for me, and then immediately after realizing that college wasn't for me, I ran out of money. So I only have like two and a half years worth of college to my credit, um, and what ended up happening was I, I came home and ended up getting a, a place of my own shortly after coming back home to Dallas. I was working, I was waiting tables, and this contract position opened up for the Microsoft office in Las Colinas, and I thought, well, I know a lot about computers. I had just built you know, my first IBM PC. I had always bought them before, but I finally built my first clone from scratch, and so I knew a lot about uh, operating systems. I knew a lot about you know, DOS and Windows and the way computers work. I passed the interview. That was in 1994. I was hired as a contractor. I was hired permanently by the company in 95, and so it was really just happenstance that I was able to sort of move my geek pedigree and, and, and computer knowledge uh, into what has turned out to be a lifelong gig, so to speak. Which, when you look at it from the outside, does not suck. Um, no, it does not suck at all. Um, I've, I've, I've had certainly every career has ups and downs, but I, I, I cannot complain. It's been a, it's been a great ride. In reading up on uh, some of the posts, the historic posts on your blog, I realized that you, what you were doing was mirroring what I was doing in my life because I've been working in IT in a parallel time frame. So I was always receiving things like the OEM service releases for Windows 95 and 98 and saying, oh, well, those were your fault. Okay. <laughs> Not precisely my fault. Um, it, was really, it was really an interesting time to be with the company because um, operating systems up until that time either did what is known as versions or service packs. And versions took the form of you know, the, the infamous... Uh, sort of uh, MS-DOS 6.0, 6.1, 6.2, 6.21, 6.22, you know, so there were all those versions that came out. And when we did Windows 95, it really, they wanted to move more towards service packs so that it's, we're not doing Windows 95 1.0, Windows 95 2.0. It just became a little silly, the numbering. And uh, and that, that gave us uh, OEM service releases, which weren't meant to be for the public. Those were meant to be very specialized versions of Windows 4, the original equipment manufacturers like, you know, the Dells and uh, back then, you know, the Hewlett Packards of the world and the, <laughs> and the Packard Bells and all that. And Ugh, so that's speak not the name of the evil one. <laughs> and, 
It's funny. Uh, everybody has a different evil one. Uh, yeah, my, my evil one was, was Packard Bell because I was working in electronics retail, and we sold an awful lot of those beastly machines. <laughs> it gives me the shivers just thinking about it. Yeah, so that's what those were for, was for the uh, original equipment manufacturers. But they tended to contain features that people wanted because they were scratch-building machines that had this new technology, such as universal serial bus. Like, that was introduced, I believe, in, in, in one of the Windows 95 Rev uh, OEM service releases. Yeah, And so uh, and so that people just wanted to, to have those versions. So working on those was kind of interesting. It was a very interesting time in the industry because... The internet starting to 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 really get into homes um, really gave us a new way to distribute software. That's really from from my perspective is when PCs really took off. Is once we started connecting them to each other. I was you know I was on the selling end of them right now, and they were kind of a curiosity up until that point. And when we had like the IBM XT style and the very first ATs, and then along comes America Online and Prodigy and. To a lesser oh, extent, Prodigy. Oh, yeah, man. You, you I, remember Prodigy? I remember Prodigy because that was my first modem on a PC. Because I'd had modems on my... I had Atari computers for the longest time. And my first uh, IBM PC was in either 89 or 90. And it didn't have a it didn't have a built-in modem. So I ended up buying a, like a Prodigy package that came with a 2400 baud modem. And that was that was my first experience with the online world. And, and let me tell you, it's like from that moment on, it's been crack for me uh, because it was the first prodigy in those and the America Online's and CompuServe and those guys. They were the first time you got online simultaneously with other people. Right. Like, I, ran a B, well, I ran a BBS for years. And that was that was. You yeah, know. you were lucky to find a BBS that had eight simultaneous phone lines. Right. That. Those were the big boys, and but but Prodigy, you know, there were th- and CompuServe, there were thousands of people's on- people online at the same time, and and ever since then, I've been online. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I would I would say pretty much since I opened that Prodigy package, I've been online <laughs> in one form or another. Now now it just follows us everywhere, chained to our hip. Oh oh, what a short time has passed, and how things have changed. Yeah, well, and and I think they've changed in, in these in these really odd ways. I think my generation was sort of the the you know I just I just turned thirty nine, and the way I kind of describe it is we we were the first um, uh, generation who really grew up with this technology, and it wasn't um, it wasn't sort of either already there when we were born or it came to light in our adulthood. So we're the first wave that that really got it, but now. You know the the geeks that I see growing up today. It's the new normal, um, and I think I think in making it the new normal, we've made it a lot easier to use just in general. And I don't mean necessarily just Microsoft. I mean Apple has done a significant amount of work in this, and online with Google and and different companies that are doing things that that are all web based have done amazing things. My my mom has an iPhone. You know, and she actually never- uses it. Yeah, she's never liked technology, so it's it's reached this level to where it's really permeated throughout society, and I think that's that's a really fascinating thing to take a step back and observe. Um, you know, watching someone struggle to program a VCR, uh, now you just click a a button in your guide, and and you're recording an entire season of stuff, and you never have to worry about it. Yeah, and it's the whole the interface uh, design is just making it. Hiding the computer from the person, just turning them all into appliances, I think is something that Apple has been particularly strong at. Uh, the best uh, commentary I've heard on that was someone saying that Apple started getting their best success when they stopped being a computer company and started being a gadget company. 
or 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 even to a a, a different level an experience company i know it, it seems weird to use the word experience in that context but if you think about connect and 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 some of the things that that we've been doing as well when you when you roll it back what we're really doing is saying let's get the let's get the technology out of the way you know and literally, it, like, and connect connect is an extreme version of that because you're literally there is nothing that the person is using to interface with the computer other than their own bodies Exactly. I, I hand my mom an Xbox controller, and she looks at it like I just handed her, you know, the instructions to build a nuclear reactor. I mean, it has so many buttons and thumbsticks and all this, and it's just absolutely alien to her. But she will, never, about she like, will never like that. Right. She'll never like that. And you, you do something like Connect, and I'll tell you what one of the most popular features of Connect is, is the voice control over movies. Really? Yeah, I mean, I, I love it, but I've seen other people just go bonkers over being able to control net, uh, uh, Netflix and uh, movies and, and, who, and all these different things from just being able to say Xbox pause, Xbox fast forward, Xbox rewind, and not ever have to pick up a remote. I mean, if you think about it, a remote is a, is, should be a useless device. We shouldn't need to press buttons. We shouldn't need to look at this, this thing that has 50 buttons all over it and a keyboard. Well, this is a nice, a nice tangent to go down here because this is an area that I've been watching over the years, and I've always thought that one of the holy grails of technology will be reliable, adaptable voice recognition so that the hardware controller does go the way of the dinosaur, and then we do in, indeed start living Star Trek where it's computer working or whatever. <laughs> I do feel a little bit like Scotty in Star Trek Four, you know, when he picks up the mouse and says hello computer you know into the mouse because it it does as much as i'm a technology freak and i love new technology and i love new ways of doing things i do still feel a teeny bit self-conscious talking to my computer well but we're to the point now where it's not clunky and it just kind of works yeah it's fairly natural and the amount of you consider the amount of computing power behind the scenes that is necessary to make that happen. And you'd mentioned, you know, the, the more current generation of kids who just kind of take that for granted. And I sit back in awe of it when I see something like Connect working with its real-time feedback, real-time decoding of speech commands, real-time observation and correct uh, interpretation of the movements of a varying number of shapes of human bodies. My jaw drops when I think what must have gone on behind the scenes to make that. Meanwhile, the kids are like, well, of course it does that. It's a connect. Right, exactly. I mean, I, I, I think it's working at Xbox has been by far probably the, the most um, amazing thing in my career since, you know, the, the last milestone I can really liken it to is Windows 95. I mean, Windows 95 was a transformative product. A lot of people look back at it and, and say, you know, oh, uh, you know, it had some. I, I had problems with it, or whatever. But but it really it was the first operating system to bring a general user interface to the masses that everybody became familiar with. And and whatever you want to say about it, it was it was definitely a transformative technology. I think Connect is the same way. And you can always tell a transformative technology when the people who create it truly don't even know what it is they have wrought <laughs> upon the world. You release um, it into the wild, and it comes back to you changed or used in a way that you never foresaw. Some of the th- exactly some of the things I'm seeing people do with Connect are are not just the game developers. The game developers, in and of themselves, are doing astounding work. But but 
just the homebrew stuff. We've released, you know, the SDK for Windows so that people can start doing connect things on their PC. And some of that stuff has just been absolutely just jaw dropping. Uh, you know, it's there's people who are doing uh, 3D imaging with it. There are people who uh, are using it for for Minority Report style um, user interfaces. Uh, and and it's that type of thing that we've we've brought this sensing technology to a great price point. And I think that's what's going to really transform the industry. I think I think we're we're still in the very very first days of of amazing Connect stuff that's going to happen. Well, yeah, I mean, you've put out a tool there that previously would have been unattainable to you know the average maker or hacker in your life. And you said, here you go. Here's a low dollar amount toy. Run along and and you touched on something there as, as far as supporting the the more open source community, which is not something that Microsoft is well known for. Um, they tend to get a lot of bad press for being closed platforms in, in many areas. How important do you think it is to the moving forward of this kind of technology to provide things like the software developers kit? I think it's I think it's extremely important. And I think the company realizes that too. I think you're seeing that with um, a lot of the initiatives that we've done in in the open source world. It, it's still you know it's still we carry a lot of bad reputation from the past. And there's still a lot of, of initiatives that, you know, for for us are the right thing to not necessarily be open source. But at the same time, there's a lot of people within Microsoft who do see the value of it. And so I think for new technologies, it's it's a very important thing to get that into the hands of the tinkerers as fast as possible. So what I hope happens is some clear innovators emerge from that open source community and are promptly hired by Microsoft to help develop the Connect 2. Yeah, and it doesn't even necessarily have to to be about the Connect 2 if we want to think about that as as a technology. There's like I said, we're still at the very beginning of what's going on with with Connect and it's a software driven device. So there is so much potential as we've shown with the Xbox 360. I mean, if you go back 5 years ago, the Xbox 360 was a video game console. And look at what it does today. You know, it does Netflix, it does Hulu, it does all, to- all sorts of streaming video, it does Twitter, it does Facebook, it does games, both casual and uh, uh, deep experiences that are, that are done off disk. And that's just all through revision of software. So if we think about the Kinect in that same vein, there's so much we can still do with that and so much other people can do with it before you even start to talk about how do we make another version of it. Well, around about the time of the original Xbox... There was parallel development for Windows XP Media Center Edition, where Microsoft was approaching it, saying, "Well, we we would like you to put a computer into your entertainment center and hook it to your TV because we think it can do all these really sexy things." And really, Media Center itself ultimately didn't go very far, where the Xbox and the Xbox 360, particularly, have become. They kind of sneakily got us to put computers into our entertainment centers by calling them game consoles and now we've since been revealed to the average consumer that oh wow look at all these cool things that happen when i hook a computer up to my tv well even further than that look at what's look at what's going on with tvs right now i mean it's not really that that computers have snuck into entertainment centers so much as people have taken computing technology and put it in the individual components of entertainment centers. I mean, you can go buy a TV right now that has a Netflix client built right into it and a web browser and connects to the internet. 
And why wouldn't, I mean, why wouldn't you? That makes perfect sense to a nerd like me. But seeing right. <laughs> seeing buy-in from you know my parents and their generation is is what moves me. So I saw things like TiVo we we mentioned earlier coming in and backdoor getting people hooked on having a high-powered computer with internet access hooked to their TV. Um, you know, I I already it's only been how many short number of years since Netflix streaming was even available and had a decent library, and now I can't envision not having access to that. It's just oh, it's yeah. a staple. If I didn't have um, if I didn't have that type of access in in the cloud to a library of content that is on demand, I'd end up going the route that I did ten years ago with DVDs and buying them all. And so you end up with mounds and mounds of what is essentially plastic, you know, that you're storing in your house just because you may want to watch, you know, a particular movie whenever you want. So you're so keeping this plastic around for that the, for that purpose. Yeah, the Kindles and the Netflix streamings of the world have shown us a better way and I don't think there's any going back. I think it's going to become the predominant method of consuming general content. I think there will always be a need and a want for certain things to have a physical presence. Like, I, I, I look at my iPad and how much reading I do on my iPad. And I have the Kindle application on my iPad, and I think probably the last 15 books I've read have been on my iPad. But there's going to be some edition of something that's going to come out, and I'll probably just use that The Making of the Empire Strikes Back coffee table book that was recently put out, that I'm going to want to have the physical, the physical version of that. Exactly. Um, because it's, 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 a, it's a big, high-quality thing. I think the same goes true of certain movies. Like, it's going to be difficult for streaming to always catch up to the quality that you can put on physical media because of bandwidth constraints. Right. And so Blu-ray right now is going to be pretty much the place where I'm going to want to consume content that is very important to me. Like, for instance, Blade Runner. That's a, that's a particular um, movie that I'm going to want to have in the highest possible audio and video fidelity quality. And so I have that one on Blu-ray. And, thank God, thank but, God for the Criterion Collection. Yeah, I mean, and, and I think there's always going to be those certain things that I don't think books go away. I think for the latest John Grisham book that you're going to read on the airplane, that moves to, that moves to the Kindle. Um, and, and I think the big sort of tentpole things are going to become a little bit more uh, more rare, but important to people in different ways. I don't think it'll ever go away because some, there's a large percentage of us out there who enjoy the physical interaction with the object that is the book and will want to use you know the best of both worlds in different circumstances. I don't want to carry a leather-bound tome through TSA to get it on an airplane. I will just take my Kindle or my iPad. Thank you very much. Yeah, in a way, it's kind of both. Uh, the biggest surprise to me um, when I published my book was I completely underestimated demand for Kindle. Uh, I, I released it in a DRM-free PDF format, thinking that my readers would most likely not want DRM, that they would want to have it portable amongst many different devices and PDFs seem the right way to do that. And I sold a few copies that way, and that was fine. But when I lit up Kindle, good Lord, I sold so much more on Kindle than all the other platforms combined. As much as, as we as, as nerds may rail against the walled garden idea, such as the Apple App Store and the Amazon Kindle Store, um, when they're done right, 
you know, I have been sold on the idea of a well-implemented DRM structure every time. I was won over by the Kindle because it works beautifully. It is well, it is well run, priced right. I was won over by the App Store. You know, was before I experienced it, I was vocally opposed. Said, "Oh no, it stifles innovation." Blah blah. You know, doing all the talking points of the open source wonk that I am. <laughs> and then I got an iPad. Yeah, and and you, and you fell in love with it. <laughs> and I and I was waiting. I kept waiting for the excuse to jailbreak it or the thing I needed to do to jailbreak it. And it never came. Everything I wanted it to do could be done legitimately for the right price through the App Store. Grats, Apple, you you won because you did it right. Yeah, I mean, if you if you take a look at at the people who complain about DRM the most, I'm not saying they don't have a right to complain or that they're wrong, but they represent a very minuscule fraction of the overall consumers of content. But because they're such voracious consumers of that content because they buy so much stuff they confuse themselves as being the mainstream they confuse themselves as being that there are more of them than there are and it's kind of funny i wrote about this in my book i wrote a story called the redmond reality distortion field which i love and the i did not come up with that phrase by the way um but but it it it, it seeks to describe a phenomenon that a friend of mine at microsoft described as you know it's inside microsoft we we make the best products in the world uh for 24 to 40 year old white males who live in redmond and there's a similar distortion field in cupertino i'm told yes yeah i think every company has has their blinders on um, and I think it's interesting because I think the geek world sometimes has its blinders on too. Oh, absolutely. And and so it's funny to watch people rail around, oh, this game won't be successful because it, it uses this particular brand of DRM. And I watch Reddit threads, you know, uh, pop up in, in the gaming subreddit all the time where boycott this or boycott that. And these games go on to sell millions and millions and millions of copies. And... To bring it around to the Xbox world where you currently are spending your days, the the live arcade as a as an entity for this same kind of little closed environment method of getting smaller developers and smaller games out to the consumer base, how has that been received from your perspective? Is it massively successful or a, a neat little thing you've done or is it the future? How do you feel about that? Well, I think there's two levels to it to talk about. The first is the indie games, where we put out a, a, a very low-cost uh, development um, package that, that sort of that represents the one- to three-person uh, development uh, group. You know, sort of the... I, I don't like to use the phrase, you know, garage design stuff, because I think it's, it's, it's better than that. There's some stuff going on in indie games right now that is absolutely fantastic. And to that extent, I think that's a great community, and that's been successful. And Xbox Live Arcade, there's no doubt it's been successful, but there's certainly ways that it has changed and evolved as a result of us having to learn. Um, I did a podcast uh, a little while ago on e th- uh, during E3 on Giant Bomb, um, which I love those guys. They're absolutely great. And uh, it was me and Eric and um, Gary Witta, who is the uh, screenwriter of Book of Eli, um, and Jonathan Blow, who made the game Braid. Uh, have you played Braid? I have best time travel weird rewinding game I've ever played. Jonathan's one of those guys where he's extremely passionate, extremely opinionated, and he, he won't hold back 
on what he thinks about something. And he's also one of those guys who, I don't care what it is, if Jonathan designed it, I will at least play it once. That was actually one of the very um, last things I played before my poor, poor Xbox died. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, but so Jonathan was on that particular podcast, and he had a lot of criticism about Xbox Live Arcade and the way that its its certification process goes. It was it was really inside baseball, so I don't want to get into too much of it. But his core concern, which he's just recently sort of uh, reiterated, has been around: Hey, it's really too hard for me to update when I want to update, or for me to do the things that I might necessarily want to do. And for some of the things that he's talking about, he's not wrong. And that's just something we learn from. So I think overall, I would I would say it's pretty clear that Xbox Live Arcade has been a success. There are a lot of games out there that people love dearly and think of as being integral to the to the Xbox platform that were arcade games. Uh, I'm thinking here of of Castle Crashers and, oh, yes. and Hexic and Braid and Limbo. And now we've had the best, I think, summer of arcade we've ever had with titles like From Dust and Bastion. And there's there's I could just sit here and name games the, the whole you know that that are great. So I think from that perspective, it's been a success, but are there some things we should definitely look at tweaking and doing differently? Yes, and and that's just a process of listening to the people who are making those great games. Now we're reaching the end of our first segment here, and here on Alpha Geek Interviews, we have a proud tradition of the shameless plug, and we've had uh, two things go by here that are worthy of pausing for shameless plugs, uh, the first being your book. Tell us a little bit about the book you wrote. Oh, sure. Um, the book is called A Microsoft Life. And uh, for my 15th anniversary at Microsoft, uh, I coincidentally was moving my blog over to a new hardware platform. And in doing so, I had to export the, um, the content database. In doing so, it gave me some weird statistics. It spit out, you know, hey, here's how many words are in your blog. And I realized I've been blogging since, you know, 1998. And there were like 300,000 words in my blog. And so I thought, man, I bet I could cobble a, a book out of that, you know, because I've written a lot about working at Microsoft. And not from a not from an insider expose, you know, type of, of viewpoint, but neither from a, a, you know, hey, Microsoft's great rah, rah, rah viewpoint. They're just sort of funny stories about working there that people may not realize. For instance, the Redmond Reality Distortion Field. Um, or the fact that during the Windows 98 launch, you know, we had outsourced our support to a vendor in Bismarck, North Dakota. And, uh, and so I wrote a story about that. And what I did was I took all those blog entries and put them into a kind of a rough narrative. I rewrote all of them, and then I expanded them. So it's, it's significantly more than what was on the blog. And then I had an editor, um, you know, critique it and, and correct, uh, you know, all the different things that an editor does. Um, and then I, I, I published it through uh, through Lulu at the uh, at the advice of uh, of Will Wheaton. Um, I've known Will for a while, and I was I was going to go with a publisher, like the normal the normal route of going with a publisher. And I did actually land a publisher. And but going through the process with them, I won't I won't name who it is, just simply because they're not. The process was terrible, but it's not because of the publisher. It's just because getting books published now is such a crazy world. Um, the process was terrible because they wanted to pay me very little, but they wanted like two years of my life, you know, promoting the book and going to conventions and doing signings and all of these things, all of which I'm sort of happy to do, but I really like my day job. So I self-published it and the book is available from my website. It's also available on Nook and Kindle. 
Um, and again, it's called a Microsoft Life, and it's it's really just a series of stories about the past uh, sort of 15 years of my life. And this sort of accidental falling into being uh, growing up, uh, you, you know, you would have put me straight on the path to being a Linux geek. Um, but I happened to look into this position at Microsoft, and so it's sort of the story of how your normal pedigree geek uh, came to work for this this company that so many people think is so so evil and so bad. And again, it's not an a, a apology for the for the corporation or anything. It's just hey, you know, at the end of the day, uh, Microsoft is made up of, of a lot of people who are really passionate, and sometimes we do things that people like, and sometimes we do things that people hate, and it's not as simple as the big evil empire. You know, it's, and so that's that's sort of the point of the book. It's fun to you know poke fun at the big targets sometimes, but without you, there would be no Xbox 360, and I'll just leave it at that. Now the other, you know, uh, I, I got into a discussion with a friend of mine who was railing about Windows and how awful Windows was, and how Windows has set the technology industry back 15 years, and this, that, and the other. And and I just quietly pointed out that without Windows, there would be no Xbox 360. Mm-hmm. So you can hate it all you want, but. <laughs> There are I mean, some good things that come. <laughs> in, in one of my you know real life pursuits, I teach you know in, entry level hardware construction and maintenance to at a technical university. And the speech I give when we talk about Windows, because many of these kids that come to the school are are very much you know open source advocates and Linux wonks. And there's nothing wrong. I mean, I think that's great. It's not a religion. No, we just need I, we, I need, we to, need all of it though. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, from I, my perspective, I happen to I happen to like Linux just fine. I run I run, you know, uh, Lion, or I run Puppy Linux, or I run Windows. Just depends. I, just, I try to remind them to be impressed with Windows because it's a miracle that Windows works at all when you consider that the people writing Windows and all of its components have no idea and no control over what hardware you are going to attempt to run that operating system on, and they have to plan for every contingency before they ship it to you. That's freaking amazing. Yeah, I remember a lot of discussions during various developments of, 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 of various versions of development where we really had to worry about walk, the, the guy walking into Fry's who's going to buy a no-label scanner. Uh-huh. It's got to work with that. And I think that that had a big impact on Vista being accepted is because we changed the driver model in Vista pretty significantly, which broke a lot of things and which I think contributes in a lot of ways to the bad reputation Vista got. Because Windows 7 actually doesn't have that that different a driver model. It's not more amazing in its driver model. It's just that Vista had been out for long enough that everybody had, had caught up to the driver model, and so your Windows 7 experience was a lot better because it wasn't brand new. It was building off a two-and-a-half-year-old driver model. Yeah, having experienced that and lived through those transitions, I can tell you from the consumer standpoint, that's exactly what happened. It was all about the drivers. Yeah, and I mean, I'm not, I'm not holding Vista up or anything. Um, it certainly had its, had its issues, but... But people don't realize that that larger picture is is what we have to deal with. It's it's a fascinating place. Once you put someone, once you put someone inside Microsoft from the outside, they suddenly realize it is nothing, nothing like like you expect it to be. Indeed. And the other uh, shameless plug that you have the opportunity for, you mentioned that uh, there's a podcast that you regularly participate on. Where can people find that? Yeah, Major Nelson Radio. So every week, um, Xbox Live's Major Nelson, Larry Herb. Uh, has a radio show that uh, I'm a co-host of, and I'm joined uh, in that with uh, Laura Massey, 
who is um, Lollipop on Xbox Live, and then uh, as well um, Eric Newstetter, who is known as E. He's the very first gamer tag on Xbox Live. Tag 0001 is E. <laughs> is E. And, and, like, literally they were like, okay, we're ready to, to create the first gamer tag. What do we type in? And he just typed in E. <laughs> and so Alrighty. He's been known as that. Uh, and we get together every week and we chat about what we're playing. And that is um, platform agnostic. So you'll, you'll find us chatting just as much about the latest PS3 game as you will about uh, Xbox 360, PC games, iPhone games, Windows Phone 7 games. And then we talk about gadgets and we talk about various nerdy stuff. So you can find that on MajorNelson.com or in iTunes as Major Nelson Radio. I believe it's also available in the Zune Marketplace. Most excellent. All right, we're going to take a little break here. I've got some Mike Furman queued up. Mike uh, was on the show two weeks ago and was the source of the referral that brought us to you. So we have many thanks sent his direction. I've got his song Street Meat. Yes, you heard me right. Oh, yeah. One of my favorites. <laughs> Street Meat, subtitled You Keep Taunting Me. Uh, we are going to go rest our voices, visit the potty, all that kind of fun stuff. You are listening to Alpha Geek Interviews live on Versus the World Radio, vtwproductions.com. We'll be back right after this. Hi, this is Will Wheaton from Radio Free Burrito, and you are listening to Versus the World Radio. Sitting with my doctor in Midtown, just had a checkup, he's breaking it down. No more taking the train, says the doctor to me. You gotta walk a lot more, and more importantly, you gotta pay attention to what you eat. Less meat or your heart is gonna cease to beat. If you see a street cart, just keep moving on. For this time next year, you'll be dead and gone. See me today. Leave me alone, street meat, man. I'm not in the mood. Sorry, dude, but I gotta do nutritious food. It's cool. No, I get it. Hey, man, it's your world. You gotta keep on that diet like a good little girl. And as I'm walking <laughs> past, I can hear you laughing. Why you gotta talk me street meat? Nice hero or gyro or however you say it. I just pray 
estate had an owner that remembered to spay it. What's next? Gonna take some lures, throw them down in the sewers, and whatever I catch, you're gonna throw it on skewers? Your shawarma's bad karma, so is your fajita. I know Peter wouldn't approve of what you put in that pita. Wow, well said, point taken. Guess someone else will eat this Jamaican fried bacon. Versus the World Radio uses Typefrag Ventrilo servers. Try them out for free at www.vtwproductions.com. Once you've experienced their incredible sound quality or their high availability worldwide servers, sign up for your own vent server at typefrag.com. Use promo code VTW for a special deal. Try on all of their fantastic features, such as their money-back guarantee, instant setup over the Internet, web-based control panel, live chat support, and servers based around the world, so you can always find one that is near to where you like to play. Versus the World uses Typefrag, and so should you. www.typefrag.com, promo code VTW. Alpha Geek Interviews continues live on Versus the World Radio, vtwproductions.com. We have the great pleasure of having Steptoe as our Alpha Geek for today. Welcome back on the air. Thank you. I, I feel back. 
now we wanted to, before we throw things to the IRC and the website forums for questions, wanted to touch on something you've got coming up in the immediate future. You are participating again this year in PAX Prime. Why don't you tell us a little bit about PAX Prime and what you're doing? Man, I, I love um, the Penny Arcade Expo. It has become uh, sort of my, my way <clears throat> of recharging uh, my, my, my geek mana meter, you know, pretty much every year. And I'm so glad, especially that it's here in Seattle because it's usually during a, a pretty time of the year. So I think the thing that hopefully the weather will be good. Um, and it's just a great place to, to sort of get that vibe from people. It is a gathering of our tribe. You know, if you like games and it doesn't matter what type of game, you can like board games or card games or video games this is the place for you. If you like geek culture, you know, if you like geek music, if you like uh, just interesting nerdy stuff, uh, this, is, this is sort of the event that is tailor-made for you. And it is no surprise to me that this year PAX Prime sold out in record time. And that's, that's just amazing to me. And we're doing it up big this year at, at Xbox. Uh, it being in our backyard, so to speak, we've got not one, not two, but four different panels uh, that we're doing this year at uh, at PAX Prime. The first one is uh, what is known as our Tweet Fleet, which is our at Xbox support uh, Twitter account, which is uh, you know where you can uh, uh, sort of communicate for support or getting things fixed or reporting stuff to us. They're going to be doing a panel. We're going to be recording the Major Nelson Radio podcast that I just talked about. We're going to record that live at the show. Uh, that's Friday night at 6.30. And let me tell you, you don't want to miss it because not only do we normally give away some pretty awesome stuff to the crowd, but we are also kind of known for having some pretty amazing guest appearances. So uh, that's one I'm really looking forward to. And then we have two more panels. One's called We Make Xbox and Xbox Live Ask Us Anything. And that is a panel with a bunch of representatives who actually make the product. These aren't marketing people or PR people these are these are the real deal these are the people who are actually not to not, not to throw our marketing people under the bus but these are the people who are actually making Xbox and Xbox Live and we want you to come out and we want you to ask us what what's important to you what are we doing great what are we not doing great uh, you know we're 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 there to 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 sort of listen to you and then the fourth and final panel is uh, about running Xbox Live so we're actually going to talk about what goes into operating a service as diverse and as popular as Xbox Live? We have more than 35 million people on Xbox Live now. So, you know, what happens when you've got to take into account, you know, the Super Bowl? You know, and the <laughs> fact that, you know, I mean, people don't think about that, but you've got to plan for that. When you're a gigantic network, you know, you've got to think about, okay, a whole bunch of people during halftime are probably going to sign into Live to play Xbox, you know, and believe it or not, that happens. I mean, you could, you, we're going to share some interesting data about what it takes to run such a big service. So we hope that you come out to see that uh, as well if you're coming to PAX. But that's not all, because we've also got the 10-year anniversary of Halo. And we are putting on what's called Halo Fest. The entire three days, your PAX pass gets you in, and it is nothing but... Uh, Halo. We're going to talk about the Halo Anniversary Collector's Edition that's coming out in November. Uh, there's going to be new information for the first time about Halo 4. That's going to be exciting. And so Halo Fest is like a three-day long, you know, if you love Halo, you really got to be there. And then last but not least, not only are we going to have all these panels in Halo Fest, but we're actually going to have, again, Microsoft employees, people who actually make Xbox and Xbox Live, 
will be roaming the show floor in black t-shirts with an Xbox 360 logo on the front, and it says, I make it, and on the back, it says, ask me anything. So if you can't make it to our panel, be sure you grab one of those people. Their job is to listen to you, so feel free to ask us questions. Now, of course, ask us anything doesn't mean we're going to be able to answer everything, because there is still, you know, our confidentiality agreements. Uh, but we are interested in hearing what you guys think about the service, what you think, guy, what you guys think about the Xbox, and we want to give you the chance to talk to the actual people who are making the product face to face. So again, that's that's huge. I mean, it, we haven't we haven't done near this level of involvement uh, before, and that's all in addition to the gigantic Microsoft booth that's going to be on the show floor, where you're going to be able to see new Gears of War three information, connect stuff. It's it's really it's going to be huge. So that's that's sort of my shameless plug for PAX. Um, Penny Arcade Expo is already amazing, and we're just trying to make it even better. Now, does the anniversary edition of Halo come with a full-size wearable suit of the Mjolnir armor? Unfortunately, no. Damn! <laughs> Unfortunately, I holding no. out. However, there is a cool feature that it does have that I think is kind of fun just to see how far you, we've come. There is a real-time toggle in the game where you flip back and forth from the original Halo graphics to what has been redesigned for this new collector's edition to take advantage of the Xbox 360 hardware. Wow. So you can and see how far we've come. The changes are pretty amazing. <laughs> All right, so we're going to switch gears a bit here. We'll come back to talk about uh, the jealousy that overflows from my body about Joko Cruise Crazy a little later. Ah, yes. For now, we're going to go to the forums and go to the IRC for questions for you. So I'll first go to what we lovingly refer to as the Black Void, uh, which is the IRC chat room. We call it the blackboard because if it gets too entertaining, we wind up reading that instead of doing a radio show. So be careful when, <laughs> when you look into the void. Right, right. Uh, Minor Nelson, I see what you did there, uh, put a question in here. He says, I know that Last.fm is a channel on live, and Spotify streaming can link to Last.fm, but, but Spotify rules. Any plans on Spotify integration for the 360? Uh, I am a huge fan of of Spotify as as well. Um, that's something that I think it, it's interesting to me when we look at you know all of the different options for for streaming radio. We think about Last.fm, we think about um, Pandora, uh, and all of these different things. And Spotify is is it's definitely one that that I've become a huge fan of as well. So we we definitely hear that a lot of people love that. I don't have anything to sort of announce about that right now. But I can say that what we're looking at across the board is for a variety of different apps and things that people love on the internet, we are working on trying to put that stuff into the Xbox 360. So I don't have anything specific about Spotify, but uh, in general, that's that's the type of thing we need to hear. So we're, we're looking at all kinds of things to put in there, and I think we're going to have some really interesting announcements to be making in the future, but not not right this second. So I'm going to dodge that one. Is the other is the other way? The short answer. Artfully done. <laughs> artfully done, sir. But I am a fan, and I want it just as much as you guys do. I, I think Spotify is pretty cool. Yeah, one of my listeners got me an invite to Spotify free, and I was a, a more or less an instantaneous convert because it rules. It does rule. Again, it's music is becoming just like that. That we talk about movies, and we talk about books. It's like. Why do I need a whole bunch of CDs lying around? And thankfully, I think with iPods and music players, we were already moving away 
from physical media. But now I think this on-demand, anywhere available, I think about like the Zune marketplace, the ability to have the Zune pass and have that entire library available to you, or Pandora, or Last.fm, uh, or iTunes or Spotify. I think that's, that's how I find out about new music now. Yeah, see, the Zune pass, I think, was just ahead of its time. Uh, people didn't get it when it first shipped. I saw it for what it was. I'm like, you're flat rate, and I can just access everything? Give me, give me. And I, I was surprised it was not a, a rip-roaring success. And now we've come full circle to the point where now people are talking about, hey, why don't we have that, that thing that Microsoft tried to give us seven years ago? Yeah, you know, if you think about it, it's what Napster should have evolved to. Yeah. Right? At the end of the day, Napster is just people sharing their collections. But what if there was a master collection, and you could pay a flat rate to access it, and then the artists did get paid? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's where we've moved to. And, um, I mean, for me, it's just that ability to have that stuff on demand available on the cloud. I have a ton of MP3s. I mean, I have something like 90,000 songs. They're all just sitting there taking up hard drive space. And to be honest, it's more music than I'll ever listen to. So it's, it's a way for me to reclaim some hard drive space. We see and, uh, you know, and the Apples actually, and the Amazons of the world moving in this direction of offering us that cloud space to put our collections into and that's, I think that's a damn fine idea. Oh, I love the Amazon Cloud Drive. I've been I've been now I buy my MP3s uh, off Amazon and then have them automatically delivered to the Cloud Drive and now they've got the Cloud Player. Yep. And now I can just access the Cloud Player on my iPad and stream MP3s from the Cloud Drive while I'm reading a book. Bring it to me. I love it. I absolutely love it. All right, also from The Black Void, Noak911 says, when can we expect the next Xbox dashboard update? Um, as we've talked about three, we're certainly working on some pretty amazing stuff. Um, I think I, I can't really give you a date because we haven't made any announcements, but I can say it's soon. We're, we're working on it right now. It's we, we know everyone wants to see the amazing stuff that we showed off at E3 and to have that available to them. I just I don't have a date for you. That's that's not my department. Uh, I can say that in messing about with it, uh, I think you guys are going to love what we're doing. Awesome. Shifting over to the Versus the World forums, which you can get to by going to vtwproductions.com and clicking on forums at the top of the page. Under the Alpha Geek subheading, we have a thread here that we started once we learned that you would be coming on the show. And I have a message here from True. What is the biggest bribe you or your team has ever been offered? Uh, you know what's funny about that question is is the understanding that of course someone eventually would bribe us and that is that is true. I have been I have been bribed so to speak. I've had offers. The highest one I think uh, was from a guy who had a channel on YouTube, and his whole his whole stick was being a jerk uh, on Xbox Live and then recording recording the interactions that he would have with people. And apparently it got to the point where he had something like, you know, 50,000 subscribers or whatever. And it, it was starting to become a source of income for him. And, of course, it's against our terms of use. And, of course, we're not going to allow someone to just wantonly be a jerk. So, uh, you know, members of my team discovered this through complaints from customers and started to take action against it. And so he, he had sent me this, this offer if he was going to pay me like $350 a month if I, would just, if I would just let him be a jerk just for his show. Uh-huh. Just just for his show, he just he just needed the ability to be a jerk just for his show cuz he's raising his daughter, he's a single parent and and he really needed 
And I just, I can't, we can't, we can't let that happen. Yeah. So I think that's probably a good example of, uh, of, uh, of, a, of a stark offer to get me to violate my own rules. Um, but that's, that's, you know, that's, that's the biggest one I can think of off the top of my head. That's, that's a real story. I really, I really got asked um, if I could just turn a blind eye for this one person for, to the tune of $350 a month. Mm-hmm. For the Which, low, low um, price. Yeah, that's that's not enough for me to jeopardize my job. Yeah, you think? <laughs> Nothing is really if you yeah. think about it. So well, let's not walk away from the sweet gig, shall we? Yeah, exactly. From Aharon on the forums, we have: What was the worst or most hilarious argument anyone has given you to try to get themselves unbanned? Oh, there's so many. Um, I have a law. I, I call it Steptoe's Law. And Steptoe's Law states that the longer, more overwrought, and more detailed the protest of innocence, the likelihood of it being bullshit approaches one. <laughs> and as BS approaches one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, essentially, the people who... We have a very exceedingly low error rate. Uh, and that's because we typically collect multiple instances of bad behavior before we take action. So that sort of keeps us from from making, you know, mistakes. That's not to say uh, mistakes don't happen because we're certainly human and we do review the evidence. So real people are looking at these things. It's not an automated process. Um, but, you know, occasionally a mistake is made. And it's funny. When a mistake is made, the person who's innocent will kind of pipe up in the forums and say, hey, well, I just got a suspension. Seems kind of odd. What I do? That's it. That's all. Short but the to person the point. who's but the person who's guilty? Oh my god! <laughs> we have to learn about every purchase they've ever made on the Xbox. How many games they own? The fact that they couldn't have possibly done it because at that exact moment in time they were taking their sick mother to the hospital to have her dialysis. And oh, by the way, I should also mention that. Uh, there's no way we could have done this. And, and I mean, it just, it goes on and on and on. And we look it up and sure enough, the person is just stark guilty. Um, if you've ever seen the website, why was I uh, <laughs> That is a collection of people in our forums that somebody out there has collected together. Um, and, and sort of the, the protests of innocence. And, uh, like I said, I mean, it, there's no barrier of entry to lie on the internet. It's so, almost a prereq. Yeah, I mean, so we we end up getting these long-winded. So we get to, we get two types actually. We get the first type is the long-winded. I couldn't have possibly done this um, because I'm such a good customer. And then the second one is a little bit harder to deal with sometimes because it's coming from a place of honesty, and that's the the parent whose child has been suspended. Right. And there's two types of posts that we get from the parent. The first one is, hey, what did my kid do so I can go beat him for it? Right. (laughs) Sort of paraphrasing that. Mm -hmm. The second is, my innocent, wonderful child couldn't possibly have done anything wrong because they're so awesome. And they told me they didn't do anything wrong. And they're so awesome. And the problem with that particular response is, again, that the the parent's coming from a place of... um, 
of, of truthfulness. The parent doesn't want to to believe that this could possibly be true necessarily. So it's a little bit difficult to explain to them, especially when the child has done something incredibly egregiously bad. Like, I, I mean, you know, it's just, it, it's so difficult to tell that parent, well, little Timmy had all of this extremely graphic neo-Nazi violence against Jews in his biofield. So your child is demonstrably the Antichrist, and I'm sorry to have to be the one to tell you this. It, it's tough to have to, because, to, to, you know, you get two reactions to that. You get the, oh, my God, uh, I, I had no idea. And then the other response is, that's so abhorrent, it couldn't possibly be my child. Right. And, and you the answer to play is, the recording? These are disengaged parents. The, these are parents who, who are not in the room when the child is gaming. And they they know what the child is playing, and they know when the child is playing it, but they don't know what the child is actually doing, and that that is unfortunately uh, you know a, a an occurrence that we run across every once in a while. And from that perspective, it's it's really tough to tell that parent. You may think you're doing all the right things, but you're you're really not. You know this, and and if they're not doing the right things on Xbox Live, I got news for you, they're not doing the right things on the internet. Yeah, and this this is a topic of frequent discussion on our forums and on our community of the abdication of parenting and then people railing against the evil video games that make people do bad things. And uniformly, when you look at closely at every instance that is held up as an example of video games equal violent child, you reveal a terrible parent who has turned the raising of their child over to the Internet. And the Internet has 4chan in it. And what did you expect to happen when you turned your raising over to that? Yeah, back in my day, it was Goatsy, right? So, ah, I don't... Ah. <laughs> so, I mean, let, let, let's take a step back. There, there are great parents out there. I know a lot of great parents. And we, I'm very proud that the Xbox has some of the best family settings of, of any uh, console. I'm really, really proud of that. But you have to use them. You, you know, you on. can't. You, yeah, you can't just just open the box on Christmas morning, hand the box to the to hand the Xbox to the kid, and say go set it up. Because what they're going to do is they're going to set up an adult account, and you can't apply parental controls to that. You have to set up a child account. And yeah. we've got great family settings. I mean, you can control what games your kids play, who they can talk to on Xbox Live. There's even a timer, so that <clears> you don't have to limits? have. You, you, yes, you don't even have to have that argument with the child of, please, just five more minutes, please. The Xbox just stops. That's it's one of the greatest awesome. features in the world. <laughs> like, If my mom wanted to regulate my time on a console or a computer, she had to steal the power cord. Mm -hmm. And, and, and basically, yeah, basically just rent it out to me. <laughs> <laughs> but but now we've got these great family settings and and I try to you know I talk to people about them and, you know it, it, when to the extent you're shocked at your kid's behavior you know that's there's the there's the first and foremost parental sta step of audit and punish but then the second step is really to be engaged with your child I, I encourage parents always always be in the room when your child is is gaming and and that is by far one of the most important things you can do to really have good visibility into what they're doing in their behavior. In a perfect world, and, to be playing co-op with them. In a perfect world, but I can also understand, as the child you know, gets older, that that may be less desirable for them. Right. Um, you know, I don't know a lot of 15-year-olds who necessarily want to do that. No, but, no, 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 no. 
But they should. They should be brought up in that environment where it's at least they have some visibility into the actual behavior. Because we find more often than not, it's the fact that the parent is disengaged and the fact that this this individual is on the internet and able to do... It's not just Xbox Live. I mean, everybody likes to make that joke about Xbox Live. You know, gosh, there's, there's a bunch of 12-year-olds on it. That's the internet. We're just a subset of the internet. Exactly. A, disengaged, a disengaged parent is, you know, just as disengaged on PS3 uh, or even on iPhone as as they are on, on Xbox Live. And so we try to educate people that, hey, we, we get that. We get that life is really busy for parents these days, and there's all this crazy technology. We've actually created a website called GetGameSmart.com which teaches parents both about the technology and how to integrate gaming into a healthy lifestyle. Hey, it's summer. We want kids to be outside playing. I mean, gaming should be done in moderation for children. And we agree with that. And we're one of the the, the companies that, that actually puts out guidance stating that. So we want to have those resources available for parents, and we want them to use them. Excellent. Also from Aharon on the forums, cake or pie? Um, you know, that's interesting. I just had cake this morning that one of my employees had made a amazing devil's food cake for his wife's birthday. And it was, it was, he, he realized about halfway through making the cake, he was making way too big a cake. And so he actually um, was sharing it with everybody. And it was absolutely fantastic. But I, I got to be honest, I'm, I'm a pie guy. Fruit pie or? Uh... Anything, anything. Just as long as it's got a pie crust around it. As long as it's got a pie crust and it's stuffed with an amazing filling. It can be. It doesn't have to be a sweet filling. I, I'm a fan of savory pies as well, mm. which are wonderful. So you know, Not as common here pie. in the U.S. Huh? Not as common here in the U.S., but wonderful. Yeah, the only thing we end up doing is turkey pot pie or whatever, yeah, right? True. Chicken pot pie. And there's some amazing savory pie recipes out there. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to say I'm a pie fan. Excellent. From Ebion, also on the forums, what was the most amusing reason, in your opinion, that you've seen someone get banned over? Oh, man, I, I have one. I have a quick answer for this. Repeatedly and loudly reciting the Declaration of Independence. <laughs> okay. I'm not joking. So I was playing Shadowrun, which was an early game for the 360, also a fantastic game. I think, I think it is the best team-based first-person shooter since Tribes. I think Shadowrun beats out Team Fortress and Counter-Strike and all those games. I think it was an amazing game because it taught you, it rewarded behavior that helped the team. So if you took bullets that were meant for the the, the flag carrier, you you got credit for that. Awesome. You know, so so it really taught. It really had a set of mechanics that taught good team play. Now, team play being so essential to success in that game, anybody disrupting team play was really impacting the game. Right. And we were playing the game, and this one guy was loudly and repeatedly reciting the Declaration of Independence. And I'm sitting there listening to it, and I'm like, oh, that's kind of funny. You know, he's he's freedom casting. You know, uh-huh. I <laughs> and then he he finished, and I thought, okay, now well, and he started again. And he was so loud that none of us could communicate. And I told him, I said, hey, uh, I can tell you this, but I kind of have the ability to do something about this, and I'd appreciate it if you'd quit it. And he just got louder, so I actually had to, uh, I actually had to take action right there. And uh, I have a little, I have a little uh, laptop that usually is next to me when I'm gaming, 
And so that was just a, a matter of turning to the laptop and clicking <laughs> a few things, and, and this individual went bye-bye. Um, That's before. the power that we all wish we had, envy, I know. envy, well, envy. In a way, you do by filing complaints because True. my team, one of my team's jobs is to is to go through the complaint feed. So, you know, certainly be sure you're filing complaints against bad players. But uh, but the ability to do it immediately, I must admit, uh, it's an awesome power, and it has to be wielded objectively. And like for instance, we have rules about like if we're competitively gaming on our personal accounts, we have to send a report in. We can't we can't actually necessarily take an action against somebody that might affect the the outcome of the game right because we have to be able to to be on the up and up about when we take action on the service not mm-hmm. just because you got pissed off because someone was better than you yeah i mean that's the worst crime we can commit in my mind right. i mean that's that's almost worse than hitting an innocent person an innocent person being hit is terrible and we should always make sure that we're not doing that but due to human error that will occasionally happen but the intentional misuse of power, that's no, no, the no, worst no, no, possible no. thing we can do. No, it, would, it would shatter all... Uh, ooh, what's the word I'm looking for? Well, it's just a dick move, man. Yeah, this is true. It, it is against Wheaton's Law. This is true. It's against Wheaton's Law, and my corollary to that has always been, you know, not just don't be a dick. I think don't be a dick is a great thing, and I think... I think we should all adhere to that, but I think we should go one further, and and we should really try to be excellent to each other. I, I think it goes beyond "don't be a jerk" and into um, we should really try to be excellent to each other. So Bill and Ted's corollary to Wheaton's law. Yeah, yeah, I kind of cribbed it from them, but I think it fits because I was I, I tell this story at PAX. Um, I was playing Bulletstorm. Have you ever played Bulletstorm? Only in passing. It's, it's a great game because it's just so over the top, but it's really difficult because to pull off the multiplayer aspect of it, you have to be, you have to conduct your kills with a certain amount of style. Hmm. And one day I was playing the game, I wasn't very good, and neither were the other seven people in the game, but there was this one guy who was, he was really good. And we're all playing, and we're not doing very well, we're not passing the level because, you know, we're, we're not pulling off our kills with the right amount of style, whereas he is, but he's not doing it enough that he, 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 he could get us to the next map. So he stops us all. He's like, wait, wait, wait okay, everybody just, everybody just stop. I'm like, all right, I want you to watch this. So here come eight guy, eight bad guys come running, you know, because the next wave starts. This guy, he grabs them all with the leash, pancakes them, throws them up into the air, and kills each one in a different way. And all the bodies hit the floor, and all the style points rack up, and there's just stunned silence. And he goes, and that's how Papa does it. <laughs> And then he proceeded for the next 30 minutes to teach each of us how to pull these kills off. That is awesome. And, and how to move in, forward in the game so that he wasn't, he wasn't having to carry us. He was teaching us how to be better at the game. He was being excellent to us. And, and that was one of the most enjoyable couple of hours of gaming I think I've ever had because he was just being so good to teach the rest of us how to be better. Rare and he was wonderful. doing it in a friendly and fun way. And and I think be excellent to each other is where where we need to take Wheaton's Law. Where to apply it, liberally and thickly. Yeah. I mean, Will's, Will's sort of inadvertent codifying this law has been a great thing. Because it's, it's shorthand for people. They really can understand it immediately. Have fun. But don't be a dick. Yeah. That's easy for everybody to understand. 
Now we, we throw that around quite a bit because it has application in so many areas of life, but especially on the Internet, it's a good reminder to have, oh, am I being a dick? I should probably stop that. Yeah, I, yeah everybody goes through that. Yeah, you catch yourself. The anonymity, the anonymity. That, that's, you know, John Gabriel's greater internet uh, fuckwad theory. Yeah, is, yeah. Is a job that related. I have, a theory that keeps me, keeps me, keeps bread on my table. You think? <laughs> there is a connection here, people. We are Yes, we've used these words in a sentence. Uh, from the Black Void, we have an interesting question here. From Noak911 again. Since Microsoft has acquired Skype, is it safe to assume that Video Connect will be merging with Skype? Merging is an interesting word. I think you're going to see Skype functionality across a variety of different experiences. So I don't know if I would say Video Connect is going to merge with Skype. But I think you'll see Skype functionality across more devices. And I, I think it's a no-brainer to say that, yeah, we would certainly look at making Skype be able to use Connect. Um, but to be honest, if I think about Connect, uh, its, least, its least capable function, in, in my personal opinion, compared to what else it can do, is a webcam. Right, it's really an amazing device to just use it as a webcam. Yeah, sure, we should do it because Video Connect is really, really cool. I, I actually, uh, over this past Christmas, my family had a family reunion down in Dallas, but I couldn't make it, and so we were able to use Video Connect to for everybody to to uh, to be able to chat with us and see us, and we were able to participate. Um, so I think that's a great functionality. But when I really think of the breadth of what Connect can do. Uh, there's so much more there, you know. But I, I, I think it's safe to say you're going to see more Skype in a lot of places. The uh, see, in, a, in a sneaky way, just like we've sneakily gotten everyone to put high-powered computers onto their entertainment centers, you are now sneakily getting cameras into the living rooms. And I think the dream that they've been showing us, you know, since the 1950s of the video conference in on the television is pretty much here. Yeah, I mean. I think of Connect very much as a sensor, not a camera. Um, but it's true that it's it's at least core functionality is based around being able to see you and being able to use that. And I think as people become more comfortable with that, uh, that it just becomes natural. Look how fast webcams have gone to every. You can't buy a computer these days without a webcam. They are indeed ubiquitous. I mean, almost every Mac has it. Almost every PC, and now our phones have mm-hmm. front and back facing cameras and iPads and I think it's just I think people are becoming more and more used to that functionality being available um, and it being I don't know what's the word harmless so to speak I mean they, they, they don't view it as necessarily an intrusion because they control when it's on and when it's off right this is not the the wall screen from 1984 yeah <laughs> And let's see, there's one more here before we proceed. Where did it go here? Ah, yes, from Minor Nelson again. Another question for the gang. I'll make this short. You can take it whichever direction you can. Why no internet browser on the 360? Oh, good question. Um, You know, designing the web for a television is really, really difficult. Web TV was so good, though. What a wonderful product. (laughs) I, I think of how many... I mean, it... Now that we've gotten to 1920 by 1080 resolution as, as sort of a uniform standard for televisions, not everybody has a 1080p television, but we, can, we could probably state that if there was a standard for, for resolution on a television, I think it's acceptable to, to say 1080p appears to be where we've landed. And that will probably be true for a while. The web 
in general, I would say, is designed at roughly 800 by 600. Yes. Um, the web experience on a television is really difficult. And the reason is, anybody who's used the web browser on the PS3 understands this. The controller is the obstacle. Um, rolling around the screen with thumbsticks and having to do soft keyboards, we're, we're not there yet. Instead, I think we're going more along the lines of what we've seen with the iPhone and what we've seen with, with other things where we take, we take web experiences that are fairly well-defined and instead we create apps out of those that are tailored to the television experience. When we think about the Facebook app for the Xbox 360, we think about the Twitter app uh, for the Xbox 360, we think about future stuff, um, you know, thinking around YouTube and things of that nature. I think designing those for the experience instead of just flat bringing the browser in is, is right now at least the better way to go. Now, having said that, when we talk about Connect, well, you can think of all sorts of much better web experiences with a browser when you think of Connect. But that doesn't mean it's still the right thing necessarily to do compared to other things that we've got. So I would say it's just a lower priority for us. Um, nobody's really nailed the web browser on a TV scenario yet. And I think that's probably going to continue for a little, a little while longer. Um, it, it, it's, it's certainly an interesting question and certainly things we get asked a lot. But we, send, we tend to sort of ask back, you know, what is it you really want? Do you really want a web browser? Or do you really want, you know, the set of, of five or ten experiences from the web that you really want on your TV? Do you want those done well? No, and that's, it, that's sort it, of the space we look at it. Every attempt we've seen to bring the web to the television has fallen short. So I think it's probably low on your list or not on the list at all, really, because is that really what you want? And I think we're slowly weaning people off of that idea and onto the idea of the app. And we will give you the 20-foot interface for Twitter. So you can be on your couch, and it's still totally usable. But if you went to the Twitter website, it would be so tiny as to be unreadable. So you have to filter it through this app lens. Yeah, I don't, I don't think the browser goes away. So I think it's, it's compelling to think that there's, there's a browser need somewhere there. But it's just how do you design it, and how do you do it right? The, when we think about the browser, it is the window to a lot of what the Internet offers. There's a lot of smaller windows that we're getting with apps. Those are interesting, and they provide really good experiences. I don't think the browser goes away so much as you, that's just a tough problem to solve. You're right. Yeah. No one's no one's given me the, the whiz-bang, absolutely fantastic internet browser experience on a television. I'm about to buy a new television, and I, I, I'm looking at a, uh, the line of Samsungs, and I notice the difference in the two models that I'm looking at is approximately $500 in cost. But the only the only actual functionality difference, the hardware is exactly the same. Is the five hundred dollar more expensive one has a browser, mm -hmm. the the less expensive one just has apps. Would I really pay five hundred dollars just for a browser? When I'm not. Got, when you've got your iPad sitting on your lap, I've got my iPad sitting right next to me, and again, that's still, you know, a browser a browser that's still a little a little tailored to the experience, right? The yep. iPad doesn't do Flash. Nope, never will. Uh, and so, so there's still some challenges around all levels of experience as people try to, people try to figure out what's the window to the internet and does it need to be big or small? Yep. All right, that brings us neatly to the end of our second segment here. When we return, 
I will be getting all James Lipton on your ass with the questionnaire, as modified by the community members of Versus the World at vtwproductions.com. You are listening to Alpha Geek Interviews with our Alpha Geek today being Steptoe. We will be back right after this lovely song from the lovely and talented Miss Marion Call. This is I'll Still Be a Geek After Nobody Thinks It's Chic. Hello, this is John Scalzi, and you're listening to Versus the World Radio. All the cool kids keep enthusiasm rationed. Right down to the last explosive ounce. But I'd rather indulge my many passions. Even if my squaritude's a little too pronounced Perhaps I do not strike you as a geek Without the horn-rimmed glasses and knee-high argyle socks But nerdery is more than wardrobe deep And I'm a nerd down in my heart and that's where nerdhood rocks I'm better acquainted than a good girl ought to be Aragorn and Yosef Bridge and Worf and Hal and Han But you don't really know me and my culture don't control me So don't you pigeonhole me cause my phasers seem to stun Oh, I have been a nerd since long before I could have heard That bookish girl should look and act a certain way And I'll still be a geek when I am utterly antique I do not care what normal people say My superpowers draining fun from parties But if I am a misfit then I'm in good company With Auden, Austin, Hawking, Galileo and Van Gogh And countless other weirdos whom you really ought to know So stow your expectations, no I won't fix your PC And I don't mind being underrated or ignored The world is much too interesting to entertain, aren't we? And I won't ever play it cool, so I won't ever once be bored Oh, I have been a nerd since long before anyone heard That Bevan Scrawny was the latest fashion trend Still be a geek after nobody thinks it's chic Because I don't require approval in the end In art four, Dequan's dance groups swept the country And suddenly old moon boots were Italian haute couture Time Magazine reported that our time had finally come. I guess they didn't know that we already run the world. Oh, I have been a nerd since my first five-syllable word. And no TV series or movie changes that. And I'll still be a geek now, but for Pedro so last week I did. Since long before anyone heard that Bevan's Connie was the latest fashion trend. And 
Scott Johnson, artist of Extra Life at MyExtraLife.com. And you're listening to Versus the World Radio. Alpha Geek Interviews continues live on Versus the World Radio, VTWProductions.com. Cruising into our final segment with the Alpha Geek of the Hour, Steptoe. Now, I mentioned earlier that I wanted you to give us a little uh, info on the past and future Joko Cruise Crazy, which I will now hate you for having attended and going without me. Do go on. <laughs> that was um, boy, that was an interesting thing. So Jonathan um, put this post up. This is Jonathan Colton, right? The, Jonathan uh, Colton, artist extraordinaire. And uh, on his site, he said, "Hey, if I wanted to do some crazy thing like a cruise." Uh, how many of you guys would like to come along? And the response was enough that he put up the first Joko Cruise Crazy in the Caribbean. And it left from Fort Lauderdale and headed to the Cayman Islands, the Bahamas, and Jamaica. And it was six days at sea. And I was going to go regardless because uh, being friends with, with, with Jonathan and Paul and Storm and, and Will and so many other uh, Wootstock people, I was going, um, you know, just just for the fun of it. Now, here's the funny thing: my wife has been trying to get me to take her on a cruise for ten years, <laughs> and I've always told her, no, no. Look, I I I I I, I, I turn red in the sun. I, I don't want to go to the Caribbean. Let's go do something cool, like let's go see the whales and the glaciers in Alaska on a cruise instead. And she doesn't want to do that because that's, you know, cold and dreary. And beautiful to her. I mean, it'd certainly be beautiful, but it, she's like, no, I want to. I want to go lounge around and drink rum, rum drinks, and and be comfortable. And so, I, I, this cruise idea came up, and she's she's nerd adjacent. So that means that she really enjoys, you know, my friends and everything. But she's not normally steeped. You have in one that of those culture. too. Yeah. Yeah. They're and she and. Uh, Will's wife and get along great because they're they're like they're like identical. They're both like '80s fanatics and <clears throat> and nerd adjacent. And so uh, I I I got the cruise tickets and stuff, but I didn't tell her. Ah. And so I sprung it on her. Uh, I don't remember. I think it was, it was an early Christmas present or something. So it was several months before the cruise, and she flipped out. She's like, "Oh my god, I cannot believe you're doing this. I, you've always said you'd never do this. I can't believe that you're gonna." Wait a minute. What's the catch? <laughs> and I said, "Well, the catch is, it's it's a Jonathan Colton cruise, and all my friends from Woodstock are going to be on it, which is pretty much the only way that I'm going to get on a boat like that." Right. And so she was really, really. She's like, "Okay, well, all right, I, I can live with that, but I get to pick the excursions and stuff." And so I would have told you a year ago today. You know, I would have said, "I'm not a cruise person." I don't. I can't imagine I'm going to have a good time. 
I don't necessarily like the ocean. I'm I'm not even sure about boats, big boats to that extent. Um, I'm not I'm not just not sold on it. I am here to tell you I am now a cruise person. <laughs> it was the most fantastic week I think of my life. I I rode a horse in the ocean. I, I, I rode a horse in the ocean. Explain <laughs> like, that. The horse is like chest high in the water. And we I swam with dolphins. And uh, we went snorkeling. And I, I sat on the beach in Jamaica and drank red stripe and ate jerk chicken. And and it was an amazing experience. And every single night, we we had the time of our lives on stage. Now, I, I was actually a latecomer to the performance group. I had performed at several Wootstocks, reading segments from my book, as well as doing a little sort of a bit that I do about Xbox Live. And so I had performed at Wootstocks in Seattle and in Portland and in Dallas and in Austin. And so I, I sort of was known from that perspective. But uh, at the last minute, Paul F. Tompkins, the, the absolutely brilliant comedian um, who I performed with in, in the Dallas Wootstock, he couldn't make the cruise. So that opened up a performing slot, and Paul and Storm said, would you mind filling in for Paul F. Tompkins? Would you mind filling in for Paul F. Tompkins were words I never expected to hear in my life, <laughs> number one. Much less, and by the way, that's on a cruise, uh-huh. you know. Uh, so I, I filled in, and it was great because the, the cruise line was Holland America. They were wonderful. The ship was absolutely beautiful. It was very steady. We never had any, 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 any real motion that you could really detect. The, the people who came on the cruise were phenomenal and amazing, and I've made friends for life out of it. And we were all just on a boat hanging out. And the funny thing was was that the, the cruise people, this was, this was not a purchased cruise, so we didn't buy the boat. Right, you bought a section of the boat. We bought a section of the boat, and and so there were a, a crowd of about a thousand normals, normals, um, normies, normies that uh, that were basically um, on the boat with us, but they were adjacent because they couldn't get into any of our, of our events. Right, and so every night we had the theater from four thirty to seven thirty, and then they had they would kick us out, and they had thirty minutes to uh, to prep for their evening show. Their and how them. Yeah, it's, they, they do like a Vegas venue type of thing. Right. And Holland America pretty much is, is run for the, the – this, this particular cruise is run for the let's, – let's call them the over 50 crowd. Yes. And so it was hysterical because we would show up and we'd say, hey, to the sound guys. We'd be like, hey, um, we've got some, got some music that we'd like to play maybe to open the show as opposed to any of your normal music that you might do. And the guys were like, sure, sure, uh, that sounds good. You know, what, what have you got? And basically, it was uh, it was it was on a boat, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and or CeeLo Green, you know, right. uh, and not, and not these, their normal fare, not their normal fare, and these guys loved it. Well, they ended up being... doing this light show every time we turned it on. The crowds would start dancing. I mean, it was just hysterical to open every single show. Now, the really funny part though was at the end of every show when we would actually be all filing out past the line of normals waiting right. to go into their show. And they were like, hey, you guys sounded like you were having a lot of fun. How do we get into that? How do we get into that show? And you know, we had to say, no, you, you can't, because everybody who went on the cruise paid an entertainment fee to get exclusive access to, right. to the shows. So every night it was it was you know, it was some amazing event. I think everyone was blown away by by Mike Furman. Um, like I said, he won the cruise. Uh, you know, that's how yep. we refer to it. I think John Roderick, who a lot of people may not 
have been aware of John's music and the Long Winters, who are an absolutely great band. He left everyone in tears with his amazing, with their amazing song, uh, "The Commander Thanks Aloud," which is yeah, about yeah. The, the disintegration of uh, of the Columbia. And and I mean, you could hear people just weeping, you know, and stunned silence for for five or six seconds after he finished playing. No, I had I and, had my heart crushed by that one at Woodstock 3.0. Yeah. Oh, I mean, that was it. Was the same there. I mean, it's it's to the point now where he has to uh, he has to like let you know the song's over. He you know, he just does a real quiet thank mm-hmm. you, you know, into the into the microphone. John is an amazing um, artist and musician, and 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 again, an all around wonderful person. But that's the thing I want to say about the cruise is that everyone I met on that cruise um, was an amazing person that I had fun with and that I wanted to spend time with. The dinners afterwards, the show every night we had a dinner that was great. Um, and we had evening uh, things. We had rock band. There was Joko karaoke. Um, and during the day, we all went on excursions. I think Jamaica was probably um, not as fun for a lot of people as it was for me because people weren't really used to. I'd been warned about Jamaica. Like you get off the boat in Jamaica and you got to wade through fifty yards of grifters. Yeah, no, I've been to Jamaica and it's it's the amazing contrast of the very rich next to the desperately poor is shocking. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah, there's that, too. I mean, it, yeah. I mean, and, and so I think a lot of people got turned off by all the, the hey, man, you want some weed, uh, right. all the things about not to get into taxi cabs and stuff. My wife and I headed straight for the for the beach, knowing full well we were going to sit on the beach all day. We yep. weren't going to go on any, you know, tours. She got her hair braided, and she drank rum drinks, and we, we basically got off the got off the ship and gave this guy 20 bucks, and he was our guy for the day. And he there made sure no one else bothered us. So, like, when Shaw wanted to get on the jet ski, I was just like, go get her on the jet ski. <laughs> and he would haggle, haggle over the price for us. And, I mean, I'm sure it's all a, a gigantic grift. Sure. But sure. at the end of the day, I ended up paying 40 bucks for an entire day's worth of beer and food and entertainment. And we just had a stellar time. And then, uh, like I said, the swimming with dolphins and riding a horse in the ocean, the food, you know, everything on the boat was fantastic. It's an expensive thing to go on a cruise. Don't get me wrong. Oh, yeah. No, but, this, this is spendy, but worth every penny. Yeah, it, it's worth every penny. Um, I see uh, a cruise participant is in the chat, uh, Ranger Rick, yep. and he's asking, if even if I'm not performing this year, am I planning on going? And the answer is yes, I will be on the second cruise, uh, which will be taking place in February. You can go to jococruisecrazy.com if you would still like to get tickets. They are available. Uh, again, it's, it's, it's a pricey vacation. But it is a floating rootstock for seven days where you have amazing access to amazing people. Uh, and you will get to, to sit down and have uh, uh, a drink with Jonathan or, or Bill Corbett or, 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 or Kevin Murphy from, from Riff Tracks and, and, and Mystery Science Theater 3000 or, uh, you know, Will and his family and, and, and John Roderick and Mike Furman and Molly and all these amazing people. And... I'm just so excited about, about going. I don't have any performance updates to provide at the moment because all of that stuff is still being planned. Um, so yeah, I have I, a dream of, of you know, shortly after winning the lottery to get onto a Joko Cruise Crazy, record it for all of you to share, and also just immerse myself up to the neck in the glory that is Joko Cruise Crazy. And also, uh, filling in for Paul F. Tompkins is the name of my next band. <laughs> Uh, that was an honor. I mean, just to be asked. Uh, like I said, I performed before with with Paul and Storm. They discovered me sort of by accident during one of my PAX talks, and and of course I'd known. Well, I still remember. I it was um it was March of 2010, 
And Rochelle and I were uh, just about to to buy our puppy, Remington, a golden retriever puppy. Oh, my God. My dog growing up was a yellow lab named Remington. Oh, really? (laughs) Small world syndrome. Do go on. We we named him Remington. His name is Remington Martin. So Remy Martin after the cognac um, because that's his his color is, is, is that. And so we had been spending some time up in Canada because the breeder was outside of Vancouver. Well, Will was filming uh, in Vancouver. I can't remember if it was um, Vancouver. Uh, would have been. It wasn't. Uh, it wasn't leverage. Eureka. No, oh, no. leverage. It would have been leverage. Exactly right. And he said, "Hey, why don't we go have lunch while we're both in the same place at the same time?" And so uh, Rochelle and I and Will were just having lunch on Granville Island, and he stops. We're just chatting, whatever, and he stops talking for a minute. And he goes, "Oh, hey, have Paul and Storm talk to you about Woodstock." And I knew that there was a Woodstock coming up in Seattle because I bought tickets for it. And I th- it was one of the early, you know, Woodstocks. You know, there had only, only been, I think, up to three or four at that point. And I thought, oh, my God, is there something wrong with my tickets? Did something, did, did my payment get, get, did something screw up? And I said, no, no, what's wrong? And he goes, well, we want you to perform. Huh? I'm, I'm pretty sure, I mean, I think I remember saying the words, hey, I'm going to freak out for a minute. So just <laughs> continue eating your lunch. Talk amongst yourselves. I'm like, what would I do? And he's like, well, we love your thing at PAX. We think it'd be hysterical to do that um, in in the Seattle and Portland. And then that, that's how the whole thing came about. And it was just, uh, yeah, one of those moments where uh, blue screen. Uh, <laughs> we're going to do a crash zero dump real quick. Zero, 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 Colonel, zero, zero, holy crap. Yeah, Colonel Panic. Uh, we're going we're gonna to write out the contents of memory to file and reboot. <laughs> <laughs> Stack collision with heap. Ah! Yeah, it was uh, it was a lot of fun. So um, I, I will definitely be on the cruise. I don't have any news about performance work. I will have some new stuff out by February. Um, I'm hoping to have a new book out by that time. So um, so we'll see. I, I like I said, I've not gotten with Paul and Storm about it, and it's it's tough because um, to organize these things because there's a whole lot of moving parts. There's a whole lot of schedules that have to be taken into account, and then there's the how much stage time do we really have? We don't want to. I think it's Paul's opinion that it maybe was a little overbooked, the, the, the stage. And he's not wrong because we ran long a couple of times. But that's our tendency. I, I have a feeling like you could just have Jonathan up there and we run long. <laughs> because we just love performing for, for, for the people who are essentially us. I mean, they, that's the thing about the cruise that was so amazing. It, you could have almost, with the people that I met and the stories they had and the conversations we had, you could probably pick up any random eight, you know, uh, audience members and put them on stage and they, they could figure out something fun to do because we're all just geeks at heart. Mm-hmm. And and it's one of the best vacations, I think. If you like PAX, if you like Woodstock, there's no better vacation for you. I, yeah. I just can't conceive of one. One day it, w- it will be mine. It is expensive. <laughs> I, I began saving with the last one and wasn't ready for the next one. So my day will come once yeah, the children are Yeah, we expanded it by college. a day. Um, it's seven days now, as opposed to six. So that that jumped the cost up. Yeah, but still, that's an extra day. <laughs> yeah, and we're not going to Jamaica this time. Here's uh, one last question from the IRC here from Noak nine one one. Any luck on getting more Coke freestyle machines for your offices? That must be an inside joke. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that's from the podcast. So, we, do you know what a Coke freestyle is? Uh, I mean, it's the machines that let you mix on the fly whatever flavors you like. I love them. Yes. So we just had a bunch installed in Building Four. And we have a segment of our podcast every week where we talk about gadgets. 
So as soon as those got installed, we ran over to that building to mix and match and actually actually mess with it. They're really cool. The short answer to the question is no. Uh, they just got put into Building 4, so we're, we're lobbying to have them put in all the buildings. because This is on the Microsoft campus. This is on the Microsoft campus. Yeah, I'm sorry. It should, it should be more clear. Um, yeah, on the Microsoft campus, in every kitchen, there are these gigantic drink coolers. There's a wall of drink coolers because we get, we get free sodas. And so there's all these coolers of cans of soda, and there's like... I mean, at any given time, per per cooler, there's like 500 cans of, you know, 14 different flavors of soda. And what we're pushing for is we think it would be a much better solution is to have the the freestyle machines. Now, right. the only downside of the freestyle machines is it ties you to Coke. Right. So, you know, the Dr. Peppers of the world and Pepsis and stuff like that. So that would... That they may might catch not, on. They may get their well, own it might, not, it might not go well over with everybody. Um, I, I find sodas tend to be uh, a little bit like religion as well. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah. So no, no luck just yet. Thank you for asking. Uh, they are really fun to play with. Uh, I've been introduced to raspberry coke because of the freestyle machine, which is absolutely awesome. See, I did uh, cherry vanilla recently and was was much pleased. See, I like cherry vanilla with Dr Pepper. Ah. Like, ever been to Sonic? You know, oh, yes. the, the place they they make. Um, they make the uh, they make a cherry vanilla fountain Dr Pepper that's pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. All right, as we wind towards the end here, we have as usual the questionnaire that I have stolen from James Lipton on Inside the Actors Studio, but that's okay because he stole it from some French guy. <laughs> Great, Bernard Pivot apparently, and we are slowly adapting it to uh, our nerdy lifestyles here on the Versus the World forums, but to begin at the top, Steptoe, what is your favorite word? I'm going to have to ask is, uh, for clarification. The word I use the most or my favorite word? Whatever came into your mind when I said the words, what is your favorite word? It'd probably be the word awesome. <laughs> um, but the one I use the most is the word so. I have this terrible thing that I've picked up since I moved up to Seattle where I begin every sentence with so. So. So I was going down the inter- So uh-huh. So let me tell you about, yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> but what awesome, is- I'll go with awesome. What is your least favorite word? Mm, needle. I don't what? like what it is and what it <laughs> sounds what it like. Sounds. The connotations, all that. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing. Nothing about it is good. What turns you on, creatively, spiritually, whatever? Um, I feed off of other people, so I would say an audience. Uh, that that I think of more things while I'm performing than. I, well, I, I tend to go through I tend to go through a torturous existence when it comes down to performing because there's something to be said for rehearsal. Rehearsal, all the choices are still there unchosen, right? You you can you can do anything in rehearsal, but when you come down to performance, that's it. You're done once you're done. That 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 particular thing that you were going to to do, your choices are now not necessarily quite as in front of you because you've already gone through rehearsal and rejected some. So that. I get both the energy from trying to make choices during a performance, but I really feed off of the response from a crowd. I really think of more things to do when I'm thinking about how a crowd might react to it. I try to I try to do things that make me laugh so that I can I can be the crowd in in that sense. What turns you off? Um <laughs> silence. <laughs> 
<laughs> kind of like I that. Think, yeah, I think silence is, uh, and I don't mean in a general sense, but I mean in a in a creative sense. Silence doesn't necessarily help. I think my creative process requires me to be to have some level of my brain distracted so that it can it can jumpstart the creative portion of my brain. I like it's like a starter motor. You know, I, I have to uh, I have to have so I have to listen to music. I have to I have to play a video game in order to write. Does it, I know that for a lot of people that doesn't make sense, but so much of creation for me involves distraction. Distracting the front part of your brain so the back part of your brain can get busy. Yeah. What is the nerdiest thing you have ever done and been proud of? The nerdiest thing I have ever done and been proud of. There's a couple. There's one I'm not proud of. That comes <laughs> in next. In retrospect. <laughs> uh, the nerdiest thing I've ever done and been proud of would have to be the work on Connect. Um... There's so much nerdiness involved in that type of creating that type of technology that, and, and I was only a tiny, tiny sliver off to the side in the development of Connect. Uh, but I think about some of the things that we had to worry about, like uh, very early in the beta, we really had to worry about voice recognition for certain pitches and tenors because children would pop out, you know, while you're trying to watch a movie and stop the movie. Mm-hmm. So you got to think about usage scenarios like that. And you have to think about sitting up and, and versus standing up. You have to think about uh, just a million, a million nerdy things when you're thinking about, hey, we want to sense everything that's going on in this room and have it be relevant to something we could do. And what is, the, what is the nerdiest thing you have ever done and been ashamed of? I, I, I won't say ashamed. I didn't say I, I wasn't proud. Uh, this is a, a story... That is actually from a forthcoming um, book that I'm writing called A Prolonged Forward. And the, the book is about growing up as a geek. And when I was very, very young, I had a friend named Todd. And Todd owned every Star Wars toy that was out. Every single one. So going to Todd's house was essentially like getting to play in... Candyland. And one time Todd had a birthday party and his parents, I guess would have been around seven or eight, maybe a little bit older. Uh, his parents had rented a, a, a reel of, they had the movie Jaws. Now back before VCRs, you went and you rented 16 millimeter, you know, films and showed them on a projector. And so they had gone and rented Jaws and they had a projector. Now I didn't particularly want to see Jaws. Um, it, it seemed pretty scary to me. And this offered me the uh, amazing opportunity to be completely alone in Todd's room with every single Star Wars toy in existence. So I told, I told, I told a lie. Uh, I said that my parents were not, uh, had not, I was not allowed to see Jaws. That, that my parents had, and the, the truth of it was I was both like scared of seeing it but I wanted to play with all these toys all by myself. <laughs> and for the next two hours while they watched Jaws, I played with every Star Wars toy in existence. I mean, he had everything. Everything. He had the, all the die-cast models. So he had all oh, those. Those are the best. Toys. I love he had those. The, the die-cast snow speeder. He had, he, had, he had the TIE fighters and the X-Wings. Plus, he had the big versions of those toys that you could sit the action figures in. Plus, he had the die-cast little uh, uh, figurines 
of all the different Star Wars characters. So you could have, you know, these gigantic stormtrooper battles because he had like a hundred little one-inch tall stormtroopers made of metal, and they, they were all painted, you know, and everything. So they were the perfect, the perfect color. And he had, um, he had the gigantic Death Star uh, toy that that Will wrote about in uh, in one of his stories. But he also had the land speeder. So mm-hmm. I mean, he had everything for the next two hours. I think I was the happiest uh, uh, kid on the in the world. Um, but it's funny because Jaws is one of my all-time favorite movies now, as an adult, <laughs> and so I'm I'm not uh, I'm not Priorities. proud of telling a telling a lie just to play with somebody's toys. But damn, but it was, it was Star Wars toys. And it was every single one of them, and probably some of you would have done the same thing. You're damn right, I would. <laughs> <laughs> you are preaching to the choir, my friend. All right, moving on. Here's one that's of a particular moment. What is your favorite video game? Um. I've been asked this a lot of times, and I always give myself the quick spot check, is this still true? I would have to say it is Civilization. And I don't... I I will say the Civilization franchise, uh, because I don't think it's it's done anything but become more complex. Its core gameplay has not changed. Um, I have a lot of video games, so normally when someone says, what's your favorite game of all time, I force them to make me pick a genre, but... But I got tired of doing that when I realized if I really stop and think about it, if I really look at the game that I have played consistently since it first came out, I have been playing that game for like 25 years. Yeah, I mean, I had on the Windows 95 box that I had installed off of the stack of 21 three-and-a-half-inch floppies. Oh, yeah. I had the Civilization that ran off of three-and-a-half-inch floppies. Right, right. (laughs) And you had to switch discs as you move forward in the game. Yeah, I think um, I no. think um, my first. Yeah, I played Civilization One um, and Civilization Two, and I, I, I play Civilization Five, which I absolutely think is fantastic. Uh, and so I have to say that that would be my favorite. My favorite game I'm playing right now on my on the Xbox 360 platform would be Rock Band. Mm-hmm. Uh, my favorite game on the PS3 would have to be Uncharted 2. That that is an amazing game, closely followed by God of War 3. Uh, and my favorite game on the iPhone, um, that's probably going to be Fruit Ninja and some of the other smaller, easy to play, get in and get out of games. It's also my favorite game on Windows Phone 7. That's I mean that's what those devices excel at. That's oh yeah, they're great. Carved. Standing in line, five minutes worth of games. I like Windows Phone 7 because it it gives me my achievements. Ah, Chivos. They are yep. wonderful things. And also from our modified list, what is your favorite gadget? Um, that's a hard choice. I'm going to say my iPad. And I'm going to say my iPad for many, many, many reasons. The, but the simplest one has been it's, it's finally... I, I've always had computers around me. Like at home or at work or wherever. I like the iPad because it's finally the form factor that I always knew I needed but didn't know what it looked like. And I had, by, I had the by same that experience. I mean, yeah, you know, I mean it's not big, it's not thick, it's not heavy, but the screen's really nice, the experience is really nice, and the UI is simple. Yeah, it has its limitations. But it's a bigger screen than my iPhone and my Windows Phone 7, but it's a smaller experience than my Alienware laptop that I use for... It's, it's, I have an Alienware M11X netbook that I use for gaming and, and, and sort of on-the-go writing when I travel. But the iPad? Good Lord, that thing, was, that thing was made to make airline travel easy. I've been trying to have a tablet PC since 1997. I had 
a sharp convertible Windows CE device, which would fold into tablet form. And I've had every, every iteration of tablet forward from there waiting for someone to nail it. And, they, and I finally have the thing that I thought I was going to get back in 97. So I'm right there with you. Yeah, the Toshiba Portage AM200 came the closest in a laptop form factor, but, but the iPad just blows it away. Yeah, it's, it's the combination of the, the arrival of the hardware that's specific to the test and the, and the iOS interfaces mature. Instant on. Yep, it's just there. Long battery life. Yeah, good you know, device. All the high points. All right, finally we have, what profession other than your own would you like to attempt? I kind of have two. Uh, right now, two professions. I have my my sort of my day job, um, which is I just general technology and Xbox specific. And then there's writing, which is which has gone from a hobby to starting to be more of a profession. So I won't I won't pick writing as something I want to move to. Um, but I I honestly I think I would like to be a paleontologist. Excellent. I would love to go dig up dinosaur bones in the desert. Uh, and and learn and learn about it's a fascinating I, one of my favorite one of my favorite moments in any movie ever. I love dinosaurs, always have since I was a kid. I'm typical geek in that in that respect. Uh, but that moment in Jurassic Park, where Dr. Grant looks across the the this vast uh, vista of living dinosaurs, and and he he says with tears in his eyes, they're moving in herds, mm-hmm. and then he says they do move in herds. That to me is is sort of the every every dinosaur person's dream is all we have are bones all we have are bones and conjecture and to have any of those questions answered definitively is a a sort of a a transcendent experience you know and I love that moment because that moment says so much in so few words about just how much we wish we could know about this magnificent period of time on our planet that is long gone from us, and we can only get these tantalizing glimpses. And and I think I would like to to, to to do more of that, to be a part of that, because um, it's definitely completely and totally different than anything I'm doing now. Oh, yes. I think that, that's a key thing. Something, unlike anything you have ever attempted before. Right. What profession would you never like to participate in? Oh, man. Uh, I don't know that I would ever, ever want to go back to technical support. <laughs> um, and it, it, uh, that's, I know that sounds a little, well, kind of a lot elitist, um, but it, it was just such a difficult... The, the hardest lesson I ever learned in technical support was that customers aren't stupid. You, you, you think that. You feel that. Time time. You, you react you that, that way. And, and I realized when I was talking at one time and I was thinking mentally to myself, oh, this guy's so dumb. And the guy turned out to be a heart surgeon. <laughs> and I'm, I'm thinking to myself, Jesus, God, what, what would I rather have? My heart surgeon worrying about about would I rather have my heart surgeon be an expert at configuring a printer or would I rather him worry about being a good heart surgeon hmm let's think about this for a moment and and it made me realize that these are people with lives and 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 but it's just such a grueling experience I think one of the flaws of technical support is that we sit people in front of technical support be that chat 
or forums or anything, and we expect them to do it for eight hours a day. Yeah, and the it eats, reality it eats your soul. The yeah, the reality is you should you should stop that. You should make the people who make the products do technical support two hours a day. I guarantee you, you'll get better technical support. Number one, and better products. And you'll get better products. <laughs> Damn right. All right, now the one of the the favorites from the questionnaire. Step two: What is your favorite curse word? I gotta go. I gotta go with the standard fuck. Um, it's 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 a it's a well worn tool, but it's comfortable. Uh, it fits the grip well, and it's it's fairly diverse. You can deploy it. Um, you can deploy it in many many different ways. But having said that, I do like to change up what people's expectations of a curse word could be. Um, and by that I mean there's times when I'm on Xbox Live, I certainly can't and should not be shouting fuck out to people. That's, you know, not good for our rules and, and certainly not good for, for me to be seen doing that. So I like to change it up and I'll, I'll, I'll create entirely new curses that are, are relatively innocent, but you just say them with such invective that 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 people can't help but understand that you're cursing it's like honey bunches of oats <laughs> and uh and so I'll, I'll change it up from time to time but uh if i'm not thinking and i'm just cursing because i'm not thinking um it's pretty pretty tried and true see i learned with last week's episode again with the lovely marion call a brand new one uh fraca banjo yeah no i've heard her say that yeah and That's a good one too, because it makes you see, you get to you get to experience both the the nerdiness of the Battlestar Galactica part, mm-hmm. um, along with the banjo part. Which I mean, I think banjo is just it, both as an instrument and a word is horribly underutilized in our culture. Mm-hmm. It is, it's, it's just a fun word to say, banjo. Yeah, and it's fraca banjo. So that has entered my lexicon thanks to her, and and I hate her for it. That's a good one. That's a good one. And finally. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Um, sorry I made all that shit about me so confusing. <laughs> right there with you. <laughs> all right. I believe we have sadly, heartrendingly reached the end of our time together on this episode of Alpha Geek Interviews. Thank I'm, you. That's a sad. Uh, I, I has a sad. I want to thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule to come hang out with us nerds. And we will get this posted up to the RSS feed as soon as possible so that the seething mass of humanity that our podcast downloaders can get their hot little hands on it. I believe we have very handily covered all of your particular uh, shameless plugs in line with the interview. Yes, sir. And thank you for coming here and, and pimping out the good and fun stuff that must be done. What are your parting shots? Uh, I think I'm going to go back to sort of what's become the, the, the core of, of what I do for Xbox. And that's, uh, you know, hey, whether you're, whether you're online on Xbox Live or you're on the Internet or you're in real life with people, um, you know, have fun. Don't be a dick, but be excellent to each other. Steptoe, thank you again for being with us. Please join us next week. Same bat time, same bat channel. Next week we have Phil Plate, the bat astronomer, coming on the show live. Oh, yeah. That's what I thought of when you went to paleontologists. It's like, hey, I get an astronomer next week. <laughs> <laughs> hey, he's awesome, too. 
Oh, yeah. All reports and all referrals from multiple sources say you must get this guy on your show. Kind of like the attitude they had towards you, and now I understand why. We'll be back next week. Check us out on the web, www.vtwproductions.com. Click on the Shows tab at the top of the page. Check out all the fine shows. You will be glad that you did. The email address for the show is theshow at alphageekradio.com. That is theshow at alphageekradio.com. I have been Other Todd. That has been Steptoe. And we are out of here. (laughs) 